This is exactly right. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. The whole entire magic to accomplishing anything is not quitting. Writing this book was a 12-year journey, and I wanted to quit a lot. If you look at most people who've done really, really hard things, it would have been really, really easy for them to quit somewhere along the way, and they didn't. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, With increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is the truth about things that suck and how to make them suck less with our awesome guest, Mindy Henderson. Mindy is a motivational speaker, writer, coach, host of the Truth About Things That Suck podcast, guest contributor of Morning Motivations on CBS Austin's We Are Austin Lifestyle Morning Show and was recently named an Austin Woman to Watch by Austin Women Magazine. After a 20-year career in high tech, Mindy shifted her focus towards helping others realize their potential and normalizing disability. Driven to build a world that welcomes and includes everyone, Mindy advocates for universal design in air travel, architecture, and fashion. Despite living life from a wheelchair, Mindy's achievements include, but are not limited to, bachelor and master's degrees, multiple singing appearances on national television, plus, this is cool, a CD recording with George Strait's guitar and bass players accompanying her, for all of us country fans out there, that is awesome, and public speaking addressing thousands of volunteers of the Muscular Dystrophy Association and addressing corporate executives for companies such as 7-Eleven, VMware, NXP Semiconductors, 7-Up, and Cisco, and more. We have lots to talk about. Mindy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Congratulations on your upcoming book, 
title, The Truth About Things That Suck and How to Make Them Suck Less, um, I just have to say, having just finished it, I feel like you were speaking to me and talking uh. to me and motivating me. Like just, you're so, ins- you, you were so inspirational. Thank you. I love hearing that. I really, that was, that was my intention. I really wanted to write it. Like I was speaking to a person and sitting there with you having a glass of wine or something. Mission accomplished. Um, you know, as we were getting ready for this show with the tech problems that were happening and Phil was saying, Oh, we're having these tech issues. We're working it through. And I said, uh, no worries. Uh, Mindy's going to figure it out. Um, this person, (laughs) this person eats adversity for lunch. (laughs) <laughs> That's nice of you to say. I always like to quote Marie Forleo, everything is figure outable. So true. So like, okay. And you know that better than anyone. So tell everyone, like tell everyone about, you know, as succinct as we can, because we have lots to mm-hmm. talk about, you know, just to set the stage and context yeah. for your life. Um as an individual, as a woman, as someone with a disability in a wheelchair, um, and and we we're gonna dive deep, but give everyone the the context here. Yeah, so I was uh, diagnosed with a condition called spinal muscular atrophy when I was only about fifteen months old, and so I, um, you know, when my when I was diagnosed, my parents were told some really terrible things. It's one of those conditions where they've learned a lot more about it over the years, but they were told that I would in fact lose all of my ability to stand and walk, that I would lose all of my cognitive function and that I probably would not live to be three. And, you know, two out of three of those things were pretty quickly proven to be untrue, fortunately, but you know, I, I like to say I, 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 the sentence of life in a wheelchair, so to speak, was mm-hmm. was true. And I have lived my life from a wheelchair, which has given me multiple opportunities every single day to learn to sort of navigate challenging situations and, and adversity. And, you know, disability aside, I've 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 had all sorts of other experiences. I've lost jobs. I've, um, I've been, um, part of some, some really horrific car crashes, two mm-hmm. different car crashes with significant injuries and, and fallout from that and a host of other things. And so, you know, it's something that's been <laughs> so, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, it's been kind of a constant in my life, just learning to live with adversity. And, um, you know, somewhere along the way, I realized that there was actually a lot of good to be done with adversity and that we could take away from it. Mm -hmm. And you get to a point where I think you have to make some choices about who you want to be and who you want to show up as in this world. Mm -hmm. And it really, you know, it's, it's a long windy road, but it led to my desire to, to write and be a motivational speaker and to be an advocate for the community of individuals with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And so aligned. I mean, this so like what you are doing is so aligned. I can tell mm. from reading like with who you are and you mentioned again, adversity, you mentioned the car accident. So everyone, yeah. when you read about this, first of all, both car accidents, not your fault. A deer is still alive because of you. Um, yes, it is off living its best dear yeah, life somewhere. Yes, yes. <laughs> and the second one was very much out of your control. Um, yes. And they were both horrific, horrific. And like, yeah. the, and you, 
endured and came back and persevered um, from both. When I was reading about the second one, I'm like, no, 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 wait. This this is not another one. And then, of course, when yeah. I read the next, I'm like, oh, no, this is another one. It's like, mm-hmm. who, you can't make this up. You can't. You, I, yeah, I couldn't if I tried. Um, you know, the, the and and both car accidents. I I drive a car that you know with my my disability I can't use my legs like to drive. Um, so it's all hand controls and buttons and touch screens and um, it, it looks like the cockpit of an airplane. It costs not to be tacky, but just to sort of drive home the point. Um, it costs about one hundred thirty thousand dollars to um, to build one of these cars and about a year to make it. So I can't just go to a car lot mm-hmm. and drive a car off the lot. It's it's an endeavor. And both times these two these cars were absolutely totaled. So mm-hmm. um, you know it it really kind of um, I, I, it it was it was a setback both times and mm-hmm. sort of put me on house arrest because I also can't use public transportation. I can't get into a friend's car, you know. And so, um, so th- they were they were big deals apart from the physical injuries and things like that that were no fun. But they really really impacted my life for the next year at mm-hmm. least after both of them. How? Did you start to live this concept that, you know what, because you are, you, you're a very upbeat person and yet things do suck. Mm-hmm. Things, things can suck. Yes. And it's like, how did this philosophy develop within you during these experience, all of you, these experiences? Yeah. I, you know, I think it started really early on and I have to credit my parents with at least you know, with, with a lot of it, you know, for sure the early beginnings, um, I, I have an able-bodied sister and, you know, even, um, despite the physical challenges and things that I have, my parents had the same expectations for both my sister and I, we were both expected to do chores, to do well in school, to have friends, to have interests. And, um, no one in my home, you know, they were compassionate, but they were not going to let me make excuses for things that I didn't want to do because they were hard. And so I think that I learned that really early on. And I learned that sometimes things were harder, but they were still doable. And, you know, that what it wasn't the kind of person that I wanted to be. I didn't want to be the kind of person who made excuses. I wanted to be the person who found solutions, mm. you know, and, and that's just sort of a philosophy that kind of evolved over time. And I think really gelled probably 12 or 15 years ago. Um, you know, you live enough life and you start to generate some, some philosophies and some, some, um, some ways that you, um, some, I don't know, guidelines to, to how you choose to live your life. And, um, it was probably 12 or 15 years ago when I started really having some ambitions to be a motivational speaker and to write a book. And I was at a point in my life where I was just, I, I, I had been through enough things where, um, 
I, I started to hear my own thoughts in a mm. lot of difficult situations mm. and I didn't like what I was hearing. And so I, I tried to get very, very intentional about replacing those thoughts with more positive mm -hmm. things and focusing less on the problems and more on the solutions. And that all, you know, in a very roundabout way led yeah. to what I'm doing today. You know, I was with, uh, you were in my head uh, yesterday because, you know, I'd been reading your book and I was mm. sitting sitting with a client who I've known for a long time and um, he was describing the different challenges in his life. And I just, I, I must have been channeling you. I, I just said, you know what, you know, we've known each other a long time and, you know, there's a lot about life that can really suck. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, we need to acknowledge that and let's start talking about how we can look at this a little differently and mm -hmm. what you can do about it. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love hearing that. And, you know, if, if, if one person, if you're the one person that took that away from my book and was able to impart it to somebody else, that, that thrills me. But, you know, I, I want to say, I think that that was one of the reasons why the title appealed to me so much. You know, it, it, I, I wish I could say that I had some grand process for how I came up with the title of the book, mm -hmm. but it was one of those things that honestly just sort of hit me out of the blue. And what I really liked about it was it very plainly said without trying to soften it or, mm -hmm. um, or anything, you know, it, things, things do suck. Sometimes, you know, I think one of the common ties that binds us all together is that we all have challenges, we all have problems, and they all look different, but we all experience our own hard days and, and hard experiences. And I interviewed a gentleman for this book. His name is Sean Aker. Um, he has the best job on the planet. He's a happiness researcher. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, he's a New York Times bestselling author. And one of the things that he really reminded me, because I think one of the things, one of the dangers that you get into as a motivational speaker is wanting to jump right to that motivational speaking and talking people into yeah. being okay. Let's do and this. He, we got this. Let's exactly. Go. Yeah. yeah. And he really reminded me that no, you know, sometimes things suck and, and yeah. it's okay for things not to be okay for a minute. And it's okay to feel the feelings that go along with it and all of that. But there are multiple truths that can coexist at the same time. Mm -hmm. And even if things are awful right now, I'm pretty sure all of us have at least one other thing in our lives that's good. You know, and it's, you know, finding a way to reconnect with those things. And in particular, what Sean taught me was um, finding sort of reconnecting with what the meaning is mm -hmm. for those things that are important to you in your life. And, and that's, I think, when some of the suck starts to dissolve just mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm hmm. Yes, we're trying to dissolve, sl slowly dissolve the suck, right? Yes. <laughs> um, I, I think of like dropping, I don't know, salt and sugar in, a, in water while baking or something. Well, that you know, also yeah. works. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you're also reminding me of um, a Dalai Lama quote or saying, which is, we can be okay even if our life situation is not okay. Yes, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, and actually there's, there's a woman who unfortunately just passed away from cancer recently. Um, she called herself Nightbird. She was a musician. Mm. Um, I don't know if, if you're familiar with her, she was on America's Got Talent and, mm. um, just won the hearts of everyone in America, I think. And one of the things that she said was you can't, and, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but it was something, something to the effect of, you know, you, you can't wait for everything in your life to be perfect before you can be happy. Mm. And yeah, it's, mm-hmm. that's, I, I think mm-hmm. another way of probably saying what you just said. Yeah. So you have, um, you have this way of talking about two truths, right? These few yeah. truths. And so tell us th- about this philosophy of, you know, you get one thing, but you also can get another thing too. Yeah, I I think that that's important because if you, you know, if you focus on one truth, if you focus on the hard truth and Mm -hmm. the unpleasant truth and the frustrating truth, then I think you run the risk of becoming kind of, you know, if you let it go go on for long enough, Mm -hmm. you can become just that you can become a frustrated, angry, kind of jaded person. And I've seen it happen to people in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I do, I I think that it's really important to look at all the truths Mm -hmm. because, you know, one, one truth is not all encompassing of everything in your life. You know, yes, you know, you, you may have just lost your job, but that is not everything. That's not the whole reality mm-hmm. of your life right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that it's very, very important to not lose sight of those other truths in our lives that can kind of dig us out of that quicksand. Yes. And this, so many of us as parents, as friends, as professionals, we do want to help people find the silver lining. Mm -hmm. We want people to look at the positive. You know, this does have a lot to do with that happiness quotient, being able to see things differently. But as you point out in your book, and as you talk about with the researcher, you know, we can't just go there right away. And so I was wondering, like, what is the balance of like validation and motivation. Mm-hmm. I think that's 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 the question for sure. You know, that's the million dollar question and I I think honestly all of us somewhere deep down we know when it's time to to move on and to stop, you know, to to stop kind of rolling around in the the misery and feeling all the feels. Um, I had a moment um, at one point where um, I was having car trouble. I was stuck at home for months. Um, Both of my personal care assistants quit on the same day. And, you know, I had, I had build, built, spent years building this life of independence for myself. And honest to goodness, in the span of like 24 hours, it shattered like a house of cards. Mm-hmm. And I um, was very unhappy for a few months. And I was talking to my mom one day and we were sort of commiserating about how awful everything was. And I was complaining and I finally stopped and I said, you know what? <laughs> I need some new thoughts 
because this is no longer constructive. This is no longer helpful. And it's not making me any happier. It's making me miserable. And so, you know, it may not be, you know, quite as obvious as that all the time to all of us. But I I do feel like we all have a little inkling somewhere in the back of our mind when it's time to get back up Mm -hmm. and move forward. Right. Right. It's sort of there's the, and I don't want to say this in a negative pejorative way, but a lot of people talk about like the pity party and it's like, like we all go through that when something has happened to us, Mm -hmm. many of us go through that feeling sorry for ourselves or being mad at the world or blaming whomever has, mm-hmm. we feel has caused it. And at some point, and I think we need to like allow a little bit of that, right? Even as yes. parents, like we need to allow people to have those emotions, but then there is a time when it's, it, we, it's time to move, try to move forward. There is, there absolutely is. And, you know, I, I wish I had a more scientific answer for you around about, you know, when, when it's time, but, you know, I I think it's one of those kind of soft skills that we just have to, um, be a little bit introspective and, um, you know, I, in, in addition to the way that we're making ourselves feel, I think we too have to think about the company that we're keeping. And, and, you know, a lot of times without getting a little, you know, too woo woo, I, you know, our energy is contagious and, you know, you, you start to have an effect on the people around you. If nothing, if you're doing nothing but complaining all Mm -hmm. the time, people are going to get tired of hearing that. And the other thing that I want to say is that so often, I mean, sometimes we cause our own problems, yep. but you know, a lot of times these are just things that happen to us and you do, you want to be angry at whoever caused it or whatever caused it. But the thing is, whoever caused it or whatever caused it, probably has moved on and they probably (laughs) don't care that you're still sitting on the couch crying over it. And so I'm a person who I I don't like to give that kind of control away to someone else in my Mm -hmm. life. You know, yes, they may have done this to me, but I'm going to take responsibility for what I do about it, who I, who I choose to show up as mm-hmm. and how I maybe even create something good from it. And that's, that's the inspiration that you give mm-hmm. us is, um, you know, it's like, here you are given this adversity from a very young age and you are choosing how to show up every day, even when things are hard, you're being open and honest about it. And you're making choices that are aligned with how you want to live and what you want to accomplish. I try. I, yeah. I really do. And it's it's funny, though, because the the thing that so many people, I think, early on in my life thought was going to be the thing that made my life so hard. And it has, I'm not going to say that it hasn't been hard, but it's really honestly become more than the thing that's made my life hard. It's become the thing that's really, really filled my life with purpose. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in, um, the sort of the career that I've been led to and what I get to do for a living every day, it, you know, I, I feel 
so proud to be able to show people that you can take something so unfun, Mm -hmm. so inconvenient, so, Mm -hmm. you know, expensive at times, you know, you can take this thing that should have been the most negative thing in your life and you can make that thing your purpose. Yeah. Yeah. As you said, not fun, sucky, right? It can be, it can be sucky. It can be, it can be. And you, you don't have to enjoy it. You don't have to be okay with what's happening. I, I, I do want to be clear about that because I, I would never want anyone to think that I'm saying that all of these awful things that can happen to any of us at any time, you, you don't have to, you know, have fun mm-hmm. <laughs> while, right. you know, so, so many of them, you know, you, you can't have fun. They, they're, you know, maybe painful. There are so many ways that they could be impacting you and and you don't have to enjoy it, but it's about what you do next. Exactly. Um, You have a saying, we can make the impossible possible. And I imagine that saying had something to do with your parenting journey. Yes. I was hoping you were going to say that. I love talking about my daughter. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Please share. Yes. So we adopted a little girl from China. Um, Gosh, I'm going to age myself. Um, But it was it was about 15 or 16 years ago. She's um, she's now in college. Mm. She's about to graduate in the fall. I'm wondering wondering where all the time went. But, you know, I I grew up always wanting to be a mom. But I, I pretty much knew that my physical condition was going to count me out of, you know, the kind of becoming a parent biologically. So, you know, I always kind of knew that. And when I met my husband, we talked about it. I told him that at some point I would probably want to adopt and he was on board with that. And so after we had been married for a few years, we started looking into it and we looked at Every, I mean, there is no stone that was unturned by us. We looked at every country, every domestic option. We looked at foster to adopt, just trying to be open to what felt right to us. And for whatever reason, I think it was because of this little girl, um, we kept coming back to, to China and we put, we went to an information night. We met some people from this adoption agency who happened to live to, to, to operate out of the city that we lived in. They were the absolute experts in Chinese adoption, went, made friends. The next day we put in our, our application. I came away from that information night knowing, because we also wanted to adopt an older child, four mm-hmm. or five years old. And we came away knowing that our child actually existed in China somewhere. Like she was over there waiting for us and that creates such urgency, you know? And so I was off and running the next day and filling out all the paperwork and getting all this stuff done. And a few weeks later, I got a phone call from the agency letting me know that our application had been denied Mm. based on my physical condition. Mm. And I, at first, you know, I'm, I'm so used to things being a little bit hard, be, you mm-hmm. know, having to question things, having to appeal things. And I was like, okay, okay, 
you know, who do I talk to next? What's the appeals process? And she said, she got really quiet and she said, I'm so sorry. There's no appeals process. They've made up their minds and there is nothing we can do. And I'm Mm. so sorry. We can't help you. And so I went home and I cried for a few hours and I talked to my mom and we cried together. And, you know, the idea, I'm sure there are women listening who can relate to this. You know, the idea of having to tell my husband that once again, he wasn't going to get to be a parent because of me. Mm -hmm. It was, it was horrifying to me. And then I stopped crying and I I started to get angry. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought to myself, you know, these people are on the other side of the world. They have not met me. They have no idea apart from, you know, the, the sort of, um, finite number of fields that we were allowed to fill out in this application. They don't know who I am or what I've done or what I've accomplished. And there has to be something else we can do. There's always something else you can do. Yeah. So I got in touch with the woman we had met at that information night, told her what was going on. And I said, please, is there anything else we can do? And she was amazing. She enlisted the help of the owner of the adoption agency. And we, you know, basically ganged up on that, com- that, gov- that um, country's government for the next nine months. Wow. Um, the three of us appealing and talking to people and sending letters and all, you know, as much information as we could send over about me. And they finally approved it. And, um, I, I did, it was, it was touch and go. They changed their minds a few times <laughs> over the course of that nine months. And I don't think I fully believed it was going to happen until I was on the plane to Beijing. Um, but yeah, I will forever be grateful to them for seeing that even with my physical limitations, I could be a really good mom to this little girl. And I think I have been. Um, and, yeah. uh, and and that led us to the next leg of the journey, you know, just being in that country, which is one of the least wheelchair accessible countries on the planet. And we had to be there for about two days, about two weeks. So it was, um, it was one of the biggest challenges of my life, but one of the most gratifying. Wow. Wow. Making the impossible possible. And how much of this in your life and what you share with um, people you speak to and consult with is about that um, Jimmy Valvano quote, uh, you know, don't give up, don't ever, ever give up. How much of that is part of this? 98% of it, honestly. Mm. I, um, I had a coach, um, along the way at one point and she said something so simple to me once. Um, but it stuck with me and it's so true. Mm -hmm. You know, it's every, every single person who's ever accomplished a goal, the common denominator, I'm sorry, the common denominator between every person who's ever accomplished a goal, doesn't matter what the goal is, big, small, you name it, the common denominator is that they didn't quit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, 
I, you know, I, I think that that is almost <laughs> the mm-hmm. whole entire magic to accomplishing anything mm-hmm. is not quitting. And, you know, writing this book, for example, was a, tw- was a 12 year journey. Um, and I wanted to quit a lot and I got rejected a lot and I got told mm-hmm. no a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but I, I think that if you look at most people who've done really, really hard things, it would have been really, really easy for them to quit somewhere along the way. And they didn't. Yes, 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 yes. This, um, a cornerstone of this show is about awareness. Yes. And um, so I love this quote. I'm going to quote you from your book. Mm. Here is what you wrote. Quote, in the case of conjured or manufactured fear, I think awareness is a great start. Being able to stop and realize when your mind is spinning in all sorts of directions that at this point in time have not happened and may never happened is critical. Yeah. Yes. So tell it, we all, we, you know, we all, we humans suffer with worry and fear. Oh my gosh. So like, t- so take that apart for us. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I know that all of us are guilty of it. You know, we, we all, and, and fear serves a purpose. It's a primal thing, you know, but there's, there's a difference between a real tiger chasing you yes. and, you know, the possibility of, you know, maybe that tiger will chase me, but it hasn't yet. And, and I think that, you know, we all play these stories in loops in our, in our minds. And I, I think that it's a muscle to, to be built to sort of become aware of those, those loops that are playing and stop for a second and actually look at what it is that we're afraid of. Has it happened yet? Mm -hmm. And if it hasn't happened, then in my, in my opinion, there are still things that we can do to, um, to influence the outcome, you know, and, and, so that's that's really the difference. There are mm-hmm. things that have happened that are very real and there are things that haven't happened yet and you know maybe all of the indications are that it's going to happen mm-hmm. but I also am a strong proponent of hope mm-hmm. and I think that if you're a hopeful person and and my personal definition of hope is just the belief that something else is possible if you can hold on to that I think that it makes a subtle difference in how we carry carry ourselves, mm-hmm. how we talk about things, what we do, the choices that we make, and all of those things can then influence other people um, yeah. without us even realizing it. And I think it can very directly influence the outcome and potentially change this this thing that you're terribly terrified of of happening. Yes, and you know, I didn't what you said earlier about, which I don't think is woo-woo at all, about the energy that we bring to a situation and the energy that impacts others around us. Mm -hmm. That is so true. When we step into a situation with a grounded, confident, open energy, it's so different of what can come out of that circumstance or that situation than when we step in with trepidation and with fear and, um, you know, expecting the worst thing to happen. 
It is. It is. And, and, you know, I think I say something in the book to the effect of, you know, a lot of times we have these sort of foregone conclusions. And if you go into a conclusion, into a situation with a foregone conclusion that, yep, this is what's going to happen. It probably will, right. you know, and, and I believe in self-fulfilling prophecies and all of that. And I, I really do believe that what you look for every single day mm-hmm. is, is re- it's exactly what's going to show up for you, good or bad. So how would you say, you know, having lived the life that you've been living and your experiences, how did that impact your parenting approach with your daughter? You know, the messaging. Yeah, I, it's a good question. Um, you know, I I tried really hard to 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 get her to see. You know, it's it's parenting is an interesting thing with with kids. So often the sky is falling. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and and drama is is a very real component of you know particularly the the preteen and the teen years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my hope is that um, in the way that I lived my life and in the the words that I chose to use with my daughter, I, I hope that some of that positivity and optimism has rubbed off on her. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, even even when your kids are rolling their eyes at you, mm-hmm. um, which I got my fair share of, I, yeah. I think that they still hear us. And, you know, I I tried really hard to be consistent in Mm -hmm. how I showed up for her, the example that I set in the work that I was doing, Mm -hmm. um, and the way that I really tried to encourage her to look at her own adversity in life, her own situations. The You know, I tried to teach her to look at other people with a certain amount of um, you know, kindness and generosity and to give people the, the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. um, and those sorts of things. And yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah, I think she's grown up to be a pretty wonderful kid. I'm sure she has. And, um, you know, it is about our kids do. I agree with you. Our kids do hear us even when they're rolling their eyes or walking yes. away or not wanting to hear us or not wanting us to think they're hearing us. Mm-hmm. However, in addition I think one of the most powerful things that we do is is what we do. They they're always watching us. Like we set the behavioral example regardless of what we say. You could say the right things mm-hmm. if your behavior doesn't echo that they're going to see that behavior. And so I will venture to say you living your life in front of her and showing up every day and working, right? Being a successful, uh, a successful person in the workforce, and then evolving your career in in line with um, your where you want to go to inspire people. You know the courage that takes to shift careers and put yourself out there. That's all modeling for your child. Thank you for saying that. I I agree with you. I think that that's the best thing as one of the best things that we can do as as parents is really put our money where our mouth is, because Mm -hmm. you can you can talk the talk all day long. But if you're not walking the same walk, Mm -hmm. they notice, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think I think kids are are a lot smarter sometimes than we give them credit for. Mm -hmm. So true. Mm -hmm. Limitations. Mm -hmm. You talk about limitations 
And in life, there are real limitations. There are also um, mental and psychological or perceptions of limitations. Tell, mm -hmm. tell us how, what you think about the idea of limitation. So one of my sort of guiding forces in my life is I, I am a person who, despite my physical limitations, my goal is to live a life without limits. Mm. And, you know, I, I think that that is, is possible. You know, I will, I will never get up and walk out of this chair. You know, that's, that's a fact. Um, and that is a limitation, but, um, I, I try really hard to look at the things that I want to do and find ways to do them despite the limitations, mm -hmm. you know, driving a car, for example, um, it was, um, it was, you know, quite a project to figure out how to drive a car and how to get a car built and, and all of those things, um, trying to become a mom, you know, there was even, even with the limitations that I have on my physical body, um, I, I feel like I've still found ways mm -hmm. to do the things in my life that I wanted to do and, and work around the physical challenges that I've had working a job, getting married, traveling, um, you know, all of the, the things that I've wanted to do. Music, um, mm -hmm. is a, another example, um, and, um, and so, yeah, I, I will never let my physical disability be the reason why I don't do something. Mm -hmm. It's something, so a limitation is something to be gotten around. I think so. Yeah. I, I really do. I'm sure there are people out there who would argue with me. Um, and I, I fully respect other people's points of views, but, um, there's nothing in my life that I've come up against yet that I really, really wanted to do and was passionate about that I haven't found a way to do. Nice. Um, you mentioned singing, so I just want to do a little shout out that um you you did have you did have some singing success in your early life. And when you yeah. talked about your childhood idol, it just took me back. Barbara Mandrell. And I just, all of a sudden, I was just right back in that era of she Barbara Mandrell. Yeah. Best, wasn't she? Yeah, she was I huge. loved Barbara. So yeah, she was, um, if, if you were a child of like the late seventies, early eighties and ever watched the Barbara Mandrell and the Mandrell sisters show, it was what I lived for mm -hmm. when I was like six, seven, eight years old. Yeah. And I was pretty sure that I was going to grow up and be best friends with Barbara Mandrell. And <laughs> I was going to be on her show and I was going to record records just like her. And, um, and yeah, she was, she was who really instilled a love of music and singing in me. And, you know, I did, I sang in church choirs and things like that as a kid. Um, in high school, I got more serious about it and I did a lot of competing and, and performing and that sort of thing. And then I went to college, it took a back seat, but then in my mid to late twenties, um, I, I remembered sort of my, my passion for it. And I started to slowly, you know, pick it back up again and, and try to figure out how I could turn it into something. And, and I was 
actually having some some success. I found a producer in Austin who was working with me. I sang in South by Southwest, which is the big music festival in Austin. I sang on national television a few times. And then um, it was funny because it's one of the times in my life when fear sort of overtook me. Mm. And I was at kind of a weird crossroads in my life. And I was, I was almost 30 and I was realizing how hard it was really, really going to be to make a go of it as a, a country music singer and to have any kind of success. And at the same time, I was also really figuring out that actually being a disabled person is really expensive. And I wanted to know that I could have a solid career and take care of myself and, and not just get by. I, wanted, I knew I wanted to be comfortable. And so I made the decision to go back to school and get a master's degree and sort of lock in my my corporate professional yeah. career. Security. And unfortunately, music kind of took a back seat. And it's it's one of those things that I've always looked back on and sort of wondered, yeah. you know, what if? Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I, I to this day I absolutely love music and and Barbara Mandrell, if you are listening, call me. <laughs> <laughs> She's ready. Mindy's ready. I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. I'm there for you. Oh, so it has been 32 years since the Americans with Disabilities Act was signed. 32 years. And mm. um, the, your book is coming out. The show's coming out in June when, just when your book is coming out. And we're on the heels of July, coming up on July, which is Disability Pride Month. I'm wondering where, how far do you think we've come since 1990 and how, and, and how much farther do we have to go? You know, I I don't like to be a pessimistic person, but I think that we still have a ways to go. Um, I, I think that we've made great progress. And, you know, it's interesting because you travel to another country and you can see how far we've come. You know, we have the ADA here, like you said, and it makes buildings you know, relatively accessible and and um, and things like that. And you see people living with disabilities out in the world doing things and, and all of that. But I would venture to say that the community of individuals with disabilities is continues to be one of the most underrepresented groups mm -hmm. in our country. And one of the biggest ways that I personally know that is I had this 20-year career in high tech before I started working toward the career that I have today. I worked for some really big, like thousands, companies with thousands of people, and I was the only person in a wheelchair I ever saw mm. in 20 years. And, wow. and, and most recently, you know, up until like three years ago, um, I was still the only person in a wheelchair that I saw working for or that I saw with any kind of mobility related mm -hmm. disability or anything that was, you know, apparent um, in, in looking at a person. Um, there could have been people with, you know, there are all sorts of invisible disabilities, but, right, right. Um, but, you know, I, I think that if you, if you watch TV, if you go to movies, if you look at magazines, um, you still don't see people 
who look like me right. represented and, and not for the sake of you need a disabled character in a, a, a storyline in television. My dream is to see people in all of these spaces in media who look like me for the, the mere, you know, just for the reason that we exist, you yeah. know? And yeah. so, um, you know, air travel is another example. Airplanes are not built for people who use wheelchairs. Even in 2022, you cannot drive a wheelchair onto an airplane and stay in it while you're going from destination to destination. Right. Um, I could go on. There are so many areas um, in our world today that are still not built for people with disabilities. And I feel like in this day and age, we need to do better. We still have a ways to go. And, um, you know, regardless of the topic, um, a person of color, LGBTQ, mm -hmm. disability, people want, people need to be reflected in everyday life and yeah. in society to see themselves. You do. And for other people to become comfortable with it. You know, mm -hmm. I was talking to someone the other day and they were, um, they were asking me about, um, you know, this, this environment. And, um, I was, I was talking about, you know, a lot of the speaking that I do at, at corporations and things talking about DEI and disabled people in the workplace. And, you know, I've been told when I've gone and spoken to companies that people, you know, and, and they're embarrassed to tell me, but they say, you know, I've never been around a person in a wheelchair and I don't know how to act and I don't know how to treat them and all of that. And I'm the first one to recognize if you've never been exposed to something, mm -hmm. you're, of course, you're going to be uncomfortable with it. And so I think that that's one of the reasons why it's so important for people with disabilities to be in our daily line of sight mm -hmm. so that people can get comfortable with it. What can our community do to raise awareness and to advocate for this community? I think that it starts with each person. And, you know, I think that one of the most important things is to, to look around at your own circle and, you know, does everyone look like you and are you hanging out with people who have different life experiences and perspectives than you? And if that's not the case, I would say that each one of us should really be intentional about trying to bring people into our lives that don't look like us and don't do life the same way that we do. And, you know, more companies need to be hiring individuals with disabilities. I heard a statistic um, that blew me over. Um, I, basically, the, the numbers that I heard were that 27% of individuals with disabilities currently hold jobs in our workforce today, as opposed to it's like 87 or 88% of people without a disability. Hmm. And that is staggering. I think yeah. that one of the biggest deterrents is, you know, I think employers think that accommodations for a person with a disability are going to be really, really expensive when on average, 
it costs $500 or less to create an accommodation that a person might need to come and work at your organization. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to educate ourselves and really be intentional about understanding why this is a good thing to bring people into our lives and into our workplaces and into our daily line of sight that are different than us. Yes. All right, Mindy, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your child's life, and those you love. I can think of several, but the one um, that I think I'm going to talk about was, it was such a big moment for me. Um, My daughter was probably... 11 or 12. And I was driving home at her home from somewhere in the early evening. She had just come from some event and she was upset because someone had made fun of her for the way that she looked. And, um, and the fact that she was Chinese and, you know, I, I sat there driving my car, trying to figure out how to help her and what to say to her that was going to be helpful. And what I ended up saying was, I I, I looked at her in the rearview mirror and I said, do you think that because I'm in a wheelchair, I am any less cool than anyone else that we know? And she looked up at me through these weepy tears and she said, no. And I said, well, I am here to tell you that you are different from that kid who said that thing to you and the difference between you and him doesn't make you any less cool than he is. And in fact, I would say that your differences are what make you an interesting person. Mm. You have been places, you've eaten foods, you've spoken languages that no one else you go to school with has done. And it was a parenting moment that I was so proud of and made me feel like I was in the right place at the right time and like I was this little girl's parent for a reason. That is a great story. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, and such an impactful moment for her. Mm. I I hope it was. You know, it it felt so right to me. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it 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 felt in the moment like it it mattered to her. And so I I hope she carried it with her. Yes. I, I I she did. She still carries it with her. Thank you. Tell everyone where they can, your, your book is about to come out. It will be out just as the show is releasing your mm-hmm. podcast. Tell everyone where to find what you're doing. 
Okay, I would love to. So the book, uh, The Truth About Things That Suck, is going to be widely available June 7th. Um, If you're hearing this before June 7th, it's actually available for pre-sale. So you can grab it and and receive it right away when it comes out. Um, But it will be... um, everywhere, uh, June 7th. Um, all of the online retailers, you should be able to find it. There's going to be an audiobook. We're still working on creating that. Um, so if you're an audiobook person, keep your eyes out. That'll be coming soon. Um, I have a website, mindyhendersonco.com. So um, you can find me there. I'm on social media. Um, and with, honestly, I, I love to hear from people. So I'd love to connect with you and, and hear what you thought of the conversation today. And I'd, I'd honestly love to know what you're thinking and, and what kind of struggles you have and, and how I can help. You are, many years, you are an inspiration. Um, Your book inspired me. You inspire me. And uh, for everyone, this is a book for everyone. The way it's constructed is based on different chapters have different topics. I'll just say a few, like overwhelm, failure, discrimination, comparison. And they are all easy to read stories where Mindy shares of herself and what she experienced. And of course, the takeaway lessons and inspiration and motivation all the way through. So um, I just can't say enough about it. Thank you. And I really wanted it to be a book that anyone could find themselves in. Mm-hmm. You know, my my primary and probably biggest adversity in life is my disability. But all of those other things that you've named are things that I think are so universal that have also been components in mm-hmm. my life. So I, yeah. I really hope that it'll be a help and a comfort to people. Thank you for putting yourself out there for all of us so we can learn and grow from and with you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. Everyone, that is it for today. Go out, get this book, share this episode with everyone you think will benefit. Please welcome all of your friends and family to our wonderful community. Thank you for your five-star reviews. Do your best to be the person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, Rate and review the show.